take your Bibles this morning. I trust that you do have a copy of God's Word with you. If you do not, then someone there close to you uh, certainly does. So I encourage you to, to look and share your Bible with someone who possibly may not have it this morning. Turn to Mark chapter number 16. Mark chapter number 16. Those verses were read a bit ago. I won't go back through and read them all at this point in time. We'll come back to them. But once you find your place in Mark's gospel, chapter number 16, I want you to hold that place and then you go with me to the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis this morning. And so uh, we're going to preach Easter out of Genesis this morning. So I trust that you will follow along as we look into the Word of God together. I've entitled our message this morning, and we'll, we won't read very many verses up front, or uh, we'll work our way through them as we go, but I've entitled our time this morning, The Purpose let me do this. I did that and I didn't do this. Does that work a little bit better? The purpose and the promise of Easter. The purpose and the promise of Easter. On this Easter Sunday morning, what a beautiful morning it is. Spring morning. It's just an absolutely glorious morning. I got up early this morning and looked outside and saw the full moon and it was just a beautiful morning. It's, on this Easter morning, what we gather to do is celebrate The victorious, completed work of Jesus Christ. The completed work of Jesus Christ. It began as he came to this earth as a babe in a manger. We'll touch on that as we go forward this morning. But as we've been working our way through Mark's gospel on Sunday morning, we've been following what we've entitled the steps or the journey to the cross. And we begin that by looking at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and that particular week and Jesus leading all the way up to the cross. So last week we spent some time considering the cross itself. But when we can think about the completed work of Easter or of Christ, it began there at the cross and three days later beyond the cross when they went to the tomb that morning and they were notified that he is not here for he is risen. That is is the incompleted work of Calvary, what Christ has done for us. Now, that doesn't mean that Christ has completed all of His work. He is now seated in the heavenlies, making intercession for us. When you pray, you pray to a living God this morning who is able to answer, to hear, to know where you are, and to know your needs. And let me just say this, He loves you dearly. He loves you dearly. He loves you as much today as He ever loved you when He hung up on the cross for your sins. He loves you this morning. He can do nothing less than love you because the Bible says that God is love. Can anybody love me? Yes, God does. Jesus Christ did. He proved it upon Calvary and He proves it today because He lives evermore for us. We see the completed work of redemption here at Easter. Redemption that God provided for lost sinners. Redemption that made available, that is made available to every sinner. Now, the question might be asked, who's the sinner? Who are these lost people that he's talking about? Who are these lost people that the Bible mentions? Well, let's be careful that we don't start thinking and pointing our fingers at others. But let's make sure we point the finger back at us. We are the sinners. We are the ones that were lost. We are the ones that Christ came to die for. And he lives for today. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. 
Nobody's righteous, and if we're going to claim a righteousness of some sort, it'll have to be the kind, if you think it's going to take you to heaven, it'll have to equal Christ's righteousness. By the way, His was perfect. None of us can measure up to that standard. His is perfect. No man is righteous. There's none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all mankind are born sinners. All of us, every single one of us, even those that walked out, outside to go up to the children's church, born sinners. Those who are in the nursery this morning, born sinners. All of us, you're sitting here this morning, all of us are born sinners. And because we're born sinners, we are in need of that redemption that Jesus purchased for us at Calvary. The story of Easter is the story of redemption. It's the story of good news to every single one of us. Easter is good news. It's a story of love. We'd mentioned that. It's a story of hope. It's a story of eternal life. It's a story of the forgiveness of sins. It's the story of even the curse of sin. But it's the story of a Savior who conquered that curse. And conquered that sin. And it gives us life eternal forevermore in Him. This morning I'd like for us to to first consider from the Bible the need for Easter. The need for Easter. Why do we gather like this this morning? What's the need? What's the purpose of Easter? The need for Easter. Why do we celebrate it? Why do we need it? Why is it so important and crucial for every single man, woman, boy, and girl? Why is it so crucial for you and for me to see this? Let's start from the beginning. Now, I made, made some of you a little nervous when I said go to Mark and then go back to Genesis. And so uh, you can calm your nerves a little bit. I'm not planning to preach the entire Bible this morning, uh, working our way all the way up. Although the verses that we look at will encompass the entire Bible because you see a thread of grace and mercy and redemption that starts all the way in the beginning and it ends here at Easter. The story that he's alive. So we look at Genesis this morning to see this story. We begin here in Genesis. Genesis chapter number 3 is the place we find where we find the need for Easter. It's the place where we find the need for Easter. Bible scholars tell us that it's been roughly, it was roughly 4,000 years between Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, and Mark chapter number 16, the story of Adam and Eve and the story of Jesus. And so they tell us quite some time has passed. And here we find in Genesis chapter 3, the first human parents, Adam and Eve. And all of us are descendants of these parents right here. It does not matter what the evolutionists tell us, the record is here. God created everything. Doesn't matter what they say, the record is here. Humanity got its start when God created it out of the dust of the ground. And so this is how you began. This is how we all began. It doesn't matter what the Bible deniers and the evolutionists say. It doesn't really even matter what the gender-confused society says. God created male and female. That's all. That's all He created. Today's society uses the term non-binary. 
That's, they use that term and they say that it means that some people are so confused. They don't put that part in there, but that's the truth. There's some people are so confused that they don't know who they are or what they are, either male or female or something in between or some change along the way. When you take God's word out of a society, you're left with chaos in that society. And that's what we see taking place in our world today. And that's exactly what happened in Genesis chapter 3. They left God's word out. They set aside God's word. God's word is recorded for us, but yet they discarded God's word. And when they discarded God's word, the entire human race was catapulted into sin, corrupted by sin. And we're still dealing with the effects of it today. Genesis chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3. I want you to notice with me, first of all, God's command. We're laying a foundation for the need for Easter. I want us to see God's command. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest you die. Uh, God had communicated a command to Adam and Eve. We find that in chapter 2. We read that in verses 15 and following. The Lord took, uh, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress and to keep. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God had given a command. He says, you can partake to any tree. You can have anything that you desire in my creation except this one thing. God's command. God's command, by the way, is not a suggestion. It's a command. And God's commands to us today are not suggestions. They are commands. He says, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. The devil always attacks God's word. And the devil will come to you and he'll attack, he'll attack God's word and say, well, it may not be so bad. It's really not like he said. And yeah, but the, the devil will always attack God's word. And that's what he did in verse number 1. And he said to the woman, yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden. And he comes back and says, ye shall not surely die. The devil always attacks the word of God. So we see when we first begin our laying a foundation for the need for Easter, we see God's command. But then we've already mentioned it in essence, we see Satan's lie. Satan's lie. And the serpent said unto the woman, verse 4, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. John chapter 8 and verse number 44. We are talking about Satan's lies. God's command and Satan's lies. John 8 and 44. Ye are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. God gave a command, Satan lied about it. Satan lied and brought doubt into the mind and the hearing and the heart of Adam, excuse me, of Eve first, but it also led to the fall and the sin of Adam. 
Let me just simply say, as we think about Satan's lie, there's no such thing as a little lie. There's no such thing as a little lie. Let's be careful here. Sometimes as parents, we can just fudge a little bit of the truth. Uh, It's tax time. Sometimes it's easy just to fudge a little bit on a line here or on a line there. There's no such thing as a little lie. There's no such thing as a white lie. There's no such thing as a half lie, as a full lie. It's all lies. And all lies are of the devil. Let's make sure that there's no lying in our lives. Good place to start. Let's just make sure there's no lying found in us. The devil lied and he says, you shall not surely die. God commanded. The devil attacks God's word. You shall not surely die. And then we see in verse number 6, sin committed. Sin committed. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. We see sin that's committed. Here in the Bible we find the first sin of the human race. The first recorded sin in the Bible. But it certainly wouldn't be the last. We find it all the way through God's Word. James 1 and 15, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, it bringeth forth death. This sin nature that inhabits all of us, that we all have, that we're born with, was passed from generation to generation From Adam and Eve uh, to their generation to the next generation. And it came all the way down to us. It's still with us today. We're all born sinners. We mentioned that. We're all still reeling from from the sin nature. From that fall that took place all the way back here in Genesis chapter number 3. That sin nature is with us. It's present with us. So we see God's command, Satan's lie, sin committed, shame realized. We follow the story on down to verse number 7. The eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Shame. Realize. Let me simply say this morning that sin always has attached to it at some point in time. Shame. Shame. It may not be right at the front. It may not be up front. It's packaged so nice. Sin oftentimes is that way. It's packaged such in in an enticing way, an enticing manner, that we fall prey to that. We fall headlong into that. They saw that the tree was good for fruit, for food. It looked pretty good. Then after sin was committed, there's shame that was realized. The Bible says their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. What were their eyes open to? The Bible talks about nakedness here. I believe that's descriptive of certainly their nakedness. But I believe it's also descriptive of their sin. Their eyes were open to their sin. And their eyes were open to their rebellion. God had commanded. Satan had lied. They believed it. Sin was committed. Now shame is realized. Up to this point, they had only known God. They had not known any evil. They had walked with with God in the cool of the day in the garden. Communed with the Lord. They had not known anything but good. They had not known evil. But here, now they know evil. They participated in it. 
They now know that they are naked. They know their own sinful condition and their shame was exposed. One commentator I read said this. He suggested that according to several passages, and he lists those. I won't go back to them and read them at this point. But he says, according to several passages, light is used as a garment of righteousness. And it could be that Adam and Eve were previously clothed in God's glorious light. And the immediate loss of this covering of light left them exposed and naked. They were clothed in the light before the fall and when they sinned, the light went out. They saw themselves now naked. Whatever it was, whether this is true, I do not know, but whatever it was, the way they saw themselves had changed. Their attitude concerning God had changed. They now hide themselves from God. They were communing with Him. Now they're hiding themselves from Him. Things were wrong. They understood it. The fear of God came upon their lives. They felt dirty. They felt guilty. And didn't want to face God in that condition. So the Bible tells us that they sought to hide themselves. So what did they do? Not only did they hide themselves, but in doing so, in an effort to do so, they made self-coverings. Self-made coverings. The latter part of verse number 7. Let's read the entire verse again. And the eyes of them were both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. Self-made coverings. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Here we have the first man-made religion in the Bible. The attempt at it. Let's do something to cover ourselves. Let's do something to cover our own sins. Here's the very beginning. In the very beginning, rather than repentance to God over their sin, they made an attempt to cover their sin. They made an attempt to cover their own sin and to hide themselves from God. There's one thing for sure this morning that all of us can know this for a surety. There's one thing for sure. Sin is never hidden from God. Sin is never hidden from God, no matter what man does in an attempt to hide that sin, to cover himself in his sin, to cover himself and hide himself from God. God will not know. Oh, yes, he will. Oh, yes, he does. You cannot hide from God. Be sure that sin will find us out and be sure that God will find the sinner. Be sure of these things. We look at verses... 8 through 10. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam, uh, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now did God know where Adam and Eve were in the garden? Certainly he did. Why did he crawl out? I believe that God wanted them to know where they were. God wanted them to know that God saw them. No matter what they had done to hide themselves, no matter what they had attempted to cover themselves with, God knew their sin. He says in verse 10, And he said, Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden and was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. 
God's command. Satan's lies. Sin's committed. Shame is realized. Self-made coverings. And we see that verses 16 through 19, I won't read all the verses, but we see that sin brought a curse. This sin brought a curse. It brought a curse upon Eve. It brought a curse upon Adam in conception for Eve. Adam, the sweat of the brow, they both would die. They would both, it would be separation. They would eventually be cast out of the garden. They would not be able to enter back into that garden. Certainly, they began to die. Ye shall not surely die. They did begin to die. They did not die at the moment, but they began to die. They died physically. They would die physically. The Bible tells us about that. But they also died spiritually. That separation from God was now there. We find in verse number 14, verses 16 through 19, we find the curse upon Adam and Eve. But we go back to verse number 14 and we see that the serpent was cursed. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above all every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. The, 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 the avenue, the, the serpent, the, the snake, if you will, the avenue that the Satan entered into, maybe this animal yielded, yielded itself to the devil, yielded itself, and now this serpent, possibly up and walking upright before, now would crawl forever upon his belly, eating the dust of the ground. I'm scared to death of snakes, aren't you? Don't ever come after me with a snake. I'll either pass out on the spot or I'll pick up a rock and throw it at you or something. (laughs) Scared to death of them. Sin was cursed. Satan was cursed. Sin brought that curse. Satan was cursed. But I want us to see something out of verse number 15. I want to see a seed was promised. Notice out of verse number 15, a seed was promised. Out of all this tragedy, out of all of this this upheaval, out of all this rebellion, verse number 15, God is still dealing with Satan himself. And he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. A seed that's promised. God, in verse number 15, God is addressing Satan himself. There will one day be a seed born of a woman It's interesting here because biologically a woman has no seed. But he says here between thy seed and her seed. We can fast forward to the gospels. Behold a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Emmanuel for he shall save his people from their sins. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. We see that God promised a seed. And we go forward a little bit back in Genesis. We look to verse number 21. Not only did God promise a seed, but God made a sacrifice. God made a sacrifice unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. Here God made a sacrifice. God made a cloak of animal skins and he clothed Adam and Eve. The Bible says without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin. 
They saw to uh, cover their sins by fig leaf religion. And God says it has to be blood sacrifice. Fig leaf religion won't cut it. Trying to do it yourself won't cut it. Joining a church won't cut it. Being a, a member won't cut it. Uh, being a choir member won't cut it. Uh, being a tither won't cut it. All those things are good and fine and dandy in their place. But you have to be born again. You'll have to be saved. If you're going to go to God's heaven, you'll have to go to God's heaven God's way. Through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here we find, we see that God made a sacrifice. The first recorded, we see the first recorded sin. We see the first recorded sacrifice. First recorded death, really, in the Bible is right here. It's that of an animal. But this death was a sacrificial death. Adam and Eve were clothed with a garment that was provided for through the death of another. God clothed them. I think that's another interesting topic, and I won't preach here long, just make mention of it, but I think it's another interesting topic, the fact that God clothed them. Now, He could have left them in the condition that He found them, but He chose to clothe them. The world around us has a propensity for nakedness. But I think it's interesting that God didn't leave Adam and Eve that way, but He clothed them. Something to be said for that in our society today, I believe. God provided a covering for their nakedness, their sin, and their shame. What we find here, and I believe in this passage, we find the beginning. And we find what we'll look at in just a moment in Mark. And we find all the way through the Gospels. We find God's mercy and compassion extended to sinners. I'm glad God didn't punish me according to my sin. If I had gotten what I deserved, we would not be here. I would not be here. You would not be here. God does not punish us. But I am so glad that God is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How did I get through this? How did I get through that? Only by the grace and the mercy of God. Thou shalt surely die. Oh, they deserved death. They had broken God's law. They have disregarded his command. They deserved instantaneous, at that moment, death. But God in his mercy and God in his grace, he extended it to sinners. And he extended it in such a way that he promised a seed and he clothed them with a sacrifice. All of this happened to our first earthly parents, Adam and Eve. Now we carry this story. We carry this story and we go to Mark's gospel, chapter number 16. I hope you have your place there. Mark's gospel, chapter number 16. And we carry this story some 4,000 years to the beginning of the New Testament period. And we still see that God's command exists. We still see that Satan's lies exist. We still see that sins committed exist. We still see that the curse still exists. We still see and we know we've been studying through Mark's gospel. We see the religious Pharisees, the the Jews of the day. We see the self-made coverings still existing. We see all these things still in place. But when we come to the Gospels, when we come to Mark's Gospel and the others, 
we see the promised seed now comes to pass. The promised seed all the way back in Genesis chapter number 3. We come to this point and we begin to see God fulfilling His promise. How? Through His Son Jesus Christ. The seed that was promised now comes to pass. Luke 2 and 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Jesus Christ the God-man. The Bible tells us in Mark's gospel, our key verse, and it was mentioned in our Sunday school class this morning. The key verse of the gospel of Mark is Mark 10 and 45. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The Bible tells us that he was betrayed into the hands of sinners. He lived that life. He lived that perfect, sinless life. But he comes down to this point and Mark's gospel, and we see in chapter number 15, he's betrayed into the hands of sinners. He's handed over. There's a mock trial, and at that mock trial, the crowd, the, the sinners, those who have, uh, who have taken, uh, they think, control, they cry out, crucify him, crucify him. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. They nailed him. To that cruel, rugged cross. And there he died. He died our substitute. He died in our place. You should have been there. I should have been there. It should have been me on the cross. It should have been you upon the cross. But Jesus died in our place. And our sins were put upon him. And he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was at that moment that Christ became the sacrifice for our sins. The Bible tells us, and Caleb read it just a bit ago, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. It's said that he borrowed the tomb because he wasn't going to need it very long. He's the only one that was buried in a borrowed tomb because he was going to give it back in just a little while. Mark 15 Verses 43, and Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly into Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead and calling unto him the centurion. By the way, I believe this is the same in centurion that said up in chapter number 15 early on. He says, truly this was and he is the son of God. Verse number 39. He calls, Pilate calls the centurion in. And he asked him whether he had been already uh, been dead for a while, for a period of time. In verse 45. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he brought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen. And laid him in a sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone Unto the door of the sepulcher. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph. Beheld where they laid him. I'm glad that the Bible over and over again talks about the burial. That just proves he was dead. He, he, he was dead. Uh, the centurion gave uh, his, uh, his estimation of it. Luke the doctor wrote his gospel. He's a physician. He knew that he was dead. Jesus was dead. They came, uh, Joseph of Arimathea knew he was dead. They wrapped his body. They put him in this tomb. They sealed the tomb. Three days and three nights in that tomb. But then comes the first Easter morning. We come to chapter number 16. 
And when the Sabbath was passed, by the way, let me just make a comment there. When the Sabbath was passed, I believe this marks, in, in Mark's gospel, he's good at marking time. He tells us exactly what's taking place. He's marking time. And I believe Mark is not only marking time for us, telling us the exact moments of the events, but I believe he's marking the passing of an era. We saw earlier when Jesus was in that upper room and when they were having, celebrating the Passover meal and that was transferred or changed to the Lord's table. One of the ordinances God's given to the church. And then he says, when the Sabbath is past, the end of an era, we worship on the Lord's Day. Resurrection Day. He says, when the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Siloam had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher of, at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? There's one of the aspects of the gospel where they're talking about, they, they come and they see the stone rolled away. And one of the gospels says that there's an angel sitting upon the stone. He's not here for he's risen. What a pulpit that was. An angel from heaven takes a stone that was sealing Jesus, now becomes his pulpit to say, Jesus is alive. When they looked... The stone, verse 3, and they saw among themselves who shall, said among themselves, who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrightened. And he said unto them, Be not affrightened. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. God fulfilled the promise. Here in these passages, here on this Easter, the very first Easter morning, God fulfilled his promise of a seed to come. And on this Easter morning, God sacrificed himself to provide not just a covering for our sin that we find in Genesis chapter number 3, but a cure for our sin. Not just a covering for a period of time, but a cure for our sin. He paid our sin debt with His death. He offers eternal life with His resurrection. Easter morning is the climactic event of all of the Bible. God did it for you and He did it for me. His death paid our price. His life provides our cure and our eternal life. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we are gathered here this morning. Let me read you. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote concerning Easter. This morning as I look over... This evil, sinful world, it does not depress me because I expect from it nothing better. Whatever may be going against me, whatever may be happening in my body, this is what I must expect because of sin. But though I die, I shall rise again. I shall see him face to face. I shall see him as he is. And I shall be like him, like him in a body glorified, with every power renewed, 
And I shall be living in a realm that is incorruptible and undefiled. A realm that can never fade away. That is the living hope of the resurrection. That is the message of Easter morning. And that hope is absolutely safe and secure. The resurrection guarantees it. Every enemy has been destroyed. Christ has conquered every one of them. Christ is our forerunner. He has gone to prepare a place for us. And he will come again to receive us unto himself. He, we shall reign with him as kings and priests. We shall judge the world. We shall even judge angels. That is Christ's guarantee. And nothing can stop it. Can death? Of course not. For he has already conquered death. Can the devil? No, Christ has vanquished the devil. Can hell? No, no. Death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Christ announces that he has conquered every enemy. He has vanquished every foe. He has risen triumphant from the grave. Neither death nor life, neither hell nor Anything else can prevent or delay the coming of his kingdom in all of its glory. He alone is king of kings and lord of lords. That's what Jesus Christ accomplished for us on Easter morning. This is why we celebrate Easter. Now that covering, that cure, that sacrifice, it's available. But understand it's not automatic. It's available. It's available to every single man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever walked planet earth. We are living in a time of grace. God's mercy is extended. But one day that grace may be gone. That mercy may end. It'll end at death. And it's appointed a man once to die and after that the judgment. All of us will face death one day. I'm glad I don't know that day. But we have to live as though it could be today. We have to be prepared today so that in case that day comes, that our death comes. So the opportunity of salvation is available. Have you trusted Him? It's not automatic. Has there been the point in time in your life when you recognized the shame of sin? Recognized that you are a sinner recognized that nakedness, that moral nakedness, recognized that God commanded and we've fallen short of the glory of God. Has there been the time in your life when you got alone with God and said, God, I know I'm a sinner. And God, I know I deserve death. And God, I know what you said. Death deserves, sin deserves death. But God, I'm thank you. I want to thank you this morning for being merciful to me. Has there been the time in your life when you confessed your sins and called upon Jesus Christ to save you? When did it happen? And when it happened, did your life change? Did your life change? When Jesus comes in, he makes a difference in the life. He makes a difference. Romans 10 and 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
Are you saved this morning? This is what Easter's all about. Easter is about the opportunity, the availability. In Easter, we gather here this morning for those who have never been saved. Not sure if you die today, heaven's your home. This Easter message is for you. Will you receive it? Will you accept it? For those who are born again in Christ this morning, know for sure, can take a Bible and give a Bible reason as to why you know for sure heaven is your home, then we have victory in Jesus. We glory in that. And the Bible says, go tell. That's what this is all about. This continues the story. What we saw in Genesis chapter 3, we see in completion from the finished work of Christ in Mark chapter number 16. But he says, until I come, go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we seek to do. And that's what's being proclaimed this morning. Do you know him? If you do not, can I invite you, can I beg you this morning, make the day, what a wonderful day on Easter Sunday morning. To receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. What a wonderful day. You're born again on Easter Sunday morning. Commit your life to live for the Lord. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we do come to you this morning. We're grateful for the completed, finished work of Calvary. For all that you've done for us. It is amazing. It's only because of your love and your compassion. That you would do such a thing. Who are we that you would... Send your son to die for us in our stead. Lord, I, I cannot, can, cannot take all of that in, contemplate it or digest it. But Lord, all I can do is say thank you for it. And beyond that, we can live our lives, Lord, because of it. In such a fashion that says thank you every single day. But it has to begin with salvation. There may be someone here not saved. May today be the day. Continue to draw that individual, to encourage them, seeing their need and seeing that you're the answer to it. And for those that may be struggling in some areas. So I know I'm saved. Oh, I'm struggling in some areas of life. Seems like this thing, this, this issue is just such a difficult thing. May they find victory in Christ. Maybe for the first time in their life, simply say, Today, I give everything to Jesus. Everything. Hold nothing back. And I pray that all that's done would glorify your name. In Jesus' name we ask it and pray. Amen.